0: Ephesians chapter six. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you have chosen to be with us today, uh, virtually at HBF. And if you're at the park, you can't hear me, and you're in the wrong place. So, (laughs) speaking of the park, it looks like uh, it looks like I'm at the park today, which is not my custom. I just want to be a cool, trendy dude, you know. I did, but I forgot my skinny jeans. But anyhow, um, no, Uh, obviously I'm promoting the uh, talking about a park, right? So uh, coming up on Saturday the 18th. Uh, There is a walk for life at Harrisonville Park, uh, which, of course, is a fundraiser for the Shiloh Center. So I just wanted to sport my shirt. This is the beautiful shirt that you can get if uh, you uh, get enrolled in that, get signed up for that. So out in the foyer, there is a very lovely representative of the uh, ministry from Shiloh, and uh, she's out there with uh, these little forms and uh, and this is really what we need you to do. We need you to get a form. And first, I need you to. We need to commit to walking. That's all you got to do. Show up and walk. That's no big deal. But get some sponsors. Fill this sheet up with sponsors, uh, and so they'll sponsor your walk. Some of you have sponsored me in the past. I really appreciate that. I will be there. I will walk. Um, and so, uh, if you just, if you don't want to walk, but you want to, sp- I know like Bobby goes in for a knee replacement, so you're not going to have turnaround time, Bobby. So, uh, you know, some people can't walk. So if you can't walk, you can sponsor, right? So not everybody, um, has to physically walk. There's other ways to participate and help in helping Shiloh. And what is Shiloh? Well, Shiloh is a, is a, uh, it's a pregnancy resource center, um, uh, you know, specifically designed to help. Uh, women that are at risk for abortion, uh, make a good decision to keep their child. So they're located right here in Harrisonville. So this walk's going to be an easy two-mile walk, and uh, it'll be from shelter number three to the golf course and back. How many of you have been on this walk before? Oh, my goodness, not enough. Okay, let me reboot this thing. Y'all need to get involved in this. So I was served on the board for many years. Uh, uh, Linda served on the board. Carol is now the director of the whole organization, and our church really needs to be behind this. Uh, this has a rich history in the Harrisonville community. This ministry was founded here uh, and primarily supported uh, by local churches here in, in Cass County, particularly in Harrisonville. And so I really would like to, to just encourage you all to be a part of this walk and uh, in some way, shape, or form. If you have questions about that, you need to see Carol, see the lovely attendant out at the table, and uh, who happens to be my wife. And um, you get a free T-shirt for walking with a $25 or more pledges, right? So you can get this. Is that, is that right? I used to buy my T-shirt, so praise the Lord. And, so, uh, and, and then on top of that, to add sugar on top, um, I guess Luke's retired, if you didn't know that. So Shivers is going to be there. There's no competition. <laughs> and so Shivers is going to be there afterward, uh, and, um, and, and the Yoder's kettle corn. So it's a good time party for all. You'll want to be there. There's prizes for for uh, three walkers with the most pledges. So if you want zoo tickets or uh, some other choice gift certificates from Errands or Artisans Corner, you can man, you can go after it and see if you can get some of those prizes. There's also walkers. One walker will win four hundred dollars, uh, pl- and with uh, walkers with four hundred dollar pledges, will get a twenty five dollar. Qt gift gas card, so that's that's a, a perk that's been added by someone who's wanting to sweeten the pot for everybody. So now you're like, well, gas is that'll give me at least a gallon. So uh, <laughs> so that's that's so you want to get in on that. All right. So so uh, so I'm sporting the shirt. I'm sporting the information. And so we're not at the park today, but that's okay. A couple uh, weeks from now, you can show up for the Walk for Life and support the Shiloh Pregnancy uh, Center and uh, that will be wonderful. If you have questions, Carol will have to leave early today, but Amy will be in the four-year after church. You can visit with her about that. Okay, so I told you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're in our seven reality series. We're going to just pick up where we left off, and we're on our fourth reality this morning, uh, which is dealing with real ministers reproduce God's character. This will not be a one-day... I was going to do a one-day sermon on this, but I decided not to because I've I've beefed it up a little bit, and I I don't want to take too much... uh, I don't want to rush too fast through this. So... Um, Since we're not having church at the park and and we're talking about uh, all of these things today, uh, I thought it would be good to just visit and continue on this sermon series and pick up where we left off. So where have we been? We've been concentrating on the seven realities that our uh, church has, uh, not just corporately, but also as individuals. Uh, We need to rise up and and, uh, make sure that we are everything God has saved us to be. Uh, so that we can accomplish God's mission and God's power, right? We understand that ex- Heartland Baptist Fellowship exists to fulfill God's mission. We don't recreate the mission, we don't make the mission. God has given us a mission. And you all know, most of y'all know that. It's to go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We know that teaching is, is discipling. We see the pattern in the New Testament is to make disciples. That is how we propagate the church, right? And you say, well, what about evangelism? discipleship and evangelism go hand in hand. If you're not evangelizing, you're not a good disciple, right? And if you evangelize and someone gets saved, you automatically have the responsibility to entrust and invest the Word of God in them so that they can grow. Now, that's not to all be done by yourself, right? That's why God has ordained the local church, and that's why we have these seven realities, because discipleship does not happen in a vacuum. It's not really just an individual effort, though the individual discipleship process, the one-on-one that we do, is incredible in a very incredible way of doing discipleship. But ultimately, that's just the beginning, right? That's just the tip of the spear, so to speak. That's just the beginning of growth to get us from bottle fed to being able to walk to eventually being able to run uh, because we are also an army. And after we get past this fourth reality, we'll talk more about that, how God wants to mobilize us and send us out. And, And that's something you grow into. You aren't born, you may be born to be a soldier, but you don't start off ready to go to war, do you? Right? You have to grow up, you have to mature, you have to put on uh, the, the muscle tissue and the, and the mental um, uh, understanding of how to operate your, your body and to keep yourself under control. you got to go through training, you got to be disciplined. So there's a lot of things that happen between birth and the time you join the army right, and uh, get in the military and go to war. And so uh, it's important that we grow and we know the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a church, we have these realities that help us stay on track, that help us understand our cultural what i call dna this is not just you know information this is actually what we're working out and we started with the first one that our first reality is that real people must be found in real churches and we must have a culture where everyone is wanted everyone is welcome and everyone is one right and that's so inclusive sounding but the only problem is people stumble over the gospel people don't like to hear that they're sinners they don't like to know the reality of sin, But yet we still need to win people to Christ and tell them the truth about sin and, of course, not forsake the love of the Savior. That's the whole gospel message. The good news is that our sin is not, is not going to bind us to hell if we receive the gift of eternal life. So we understand that, and we understand as we work through the book of Acts that disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It didn't say believers. It said disciples, right? And so we understand that our second reality is that real Christians which is the name given in Acts eleven twenty six 26, are Christ-like, which seems kind of like common sense, right? What does it mean to be Christ-like? Well, in a nutshell, you could look at Galatians chapter 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, but the three things that we pointed out is that real Christians are Christ-like because they reflect diversity, right? Uh, we, uh, we can come from every social strata, every people group in the world. Uh, the gospel is fit to bring all men to himself because Jesus died for the world. But we also reproduce spiritually, and we respond cheerfully. We are innately giving, given to giving, right? God gives us a heart to give, right? We reproduce spiritually, and we give of ourselves, and that's how we respond cheerfully. We give back to God through ministry, through finance, and all of those things. And the third thing that we saw is that, it, that, that the real relationships reach people. Real relationships reach people. The first person, remember we talked about the woman with an issue of blood, right? The person that we're primarily concerned with in this church, uh, me as a pastor, you as a, as a member, as we're all doing our, whatever it is that we're doing, from mowing the lawn to, to, to going off on mission trips, whatever it may be, publishing Bibles, uh, taking walks for life, whatever it may be, whatever we do, right? We do it all for the glory of God. And we're concerned about uh, not only our need for Him, but also Him being pleased with us. He is our first priority and real relationships reach God. We have a direct connect with God through the Spirit of God and that affects our families. That affects who we are. It affects how we raise our children. It affects the church body, the church family, and it also impacts the culture in which we live, the communities in which we live, the cities in which we live, and the countries in which we're called to reach, including this one in which we live. So all of that is, was bound up in third reality. And so now... Um, there's no better place to establish a real relationship than right here. God willing, uh, these relationships are going to spill over, and and, uh, and this ministry will continue to grow and accomplish God's mission in spite of gas prices, in spite of Marxism, in spite of everything else. Uh, our mission doesn't stop. Isn't it nice to be part of something that's unchanging, that's unwavering? Man, I'm so thankful for Christ, the rock. There's a reason he's the rock. And uh, by God's grace, we stand on that rock. Uh, we, are, we are fastened to that rock. We're not going to be crushed by that rock because he has saved us. So when we begin to focus uh, on, others in, uh, on others in obedience to God's word, we immediately become a minister. So this reality is about ministry. This fourth reality is about real ministers. And, and so as we focus on and really growing and going forward and serving others, we talk about cheerful giving and, and all of these things. Ultimately, we're talking about service when you think about what is a minister, what is a minister? You know, I used to think a minister was was somebody who was a professional, you know, preacher. Uh, That was what a minister was, but that's not what a minister is. A minister is nothing more than a servant that is under authority. A servant that's under authority. Uh, Ministers and ministry are manifest in numerous ways. And, and so it is not about the guy who gets professionally paid to, you know, preach or be a minister per se, though, though obviously those are ministers. But anyone who serves under authority, and I emphasize authority, is a minister. That would even mean your, your local police officer is a minister, right? In some countries, they, they have the minister of defense, Right In in the upper echelons of government, they'll call this person a minister. What does that mean? We call them in the United States a public servant. Public servant. They're a minister. Maybe we should go back to that terminology. I think it might put a little bit more context into what needs to be going on. But ministry should be about serving. The, The Old Testament word for ministers found 66 times in 65 verses... And in the New Testament, the word's found thirty-four times in thirty-three verses, and, uh, and the Greek word used for minister is used is also I'm sorry translated servant or serve or service, um, you know several times in servants, and servitor, and then once it's translated waiter like you would think about or wait uh, waited like as a waiter would wait on somebody, and so it's pretty clear that this word minister is uh, even in the context of the Bible. Uh, Equated to service or serving or even waiting. And so the best biblical example uh, outside of Christ uh, of a minister is Joshua. And that's your first fill in the blank, by the way. The the best biblical example of a minister is Joshua. And some of you may know why that is, because Joshua um, is far from the only example that we could find in the Bible, but he serves as the best example because he is a wondrous type of, Of Christ, he's a type of Christ. Now, you may not know much about types, um, but in similitudes and things like that. But if you hang around here long enough, go through discipleship, we will teach you. We got a whole section on that in uh, both HBI and in discipleship too on types. And uh, the Bible manifests God uses types to manifest a lot of who He is. And so uh, Joshua, in the Greek, is translated Jesus. And the first mention of the word minister. Is found, interestingly enough, in Exodus 24 and verse 13. Exodus 24, 13, the Bible says, And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up unto the mount of God. The first time you see the word minister, it's associated with Joshua, right? A man whose name is in the Greek would be Jesus. Right. So, Jesus, Joshua, is a great type, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua was a humble minister, as he followed Moses obediently. In Exodus seventeen eight through 11 Joshua went out and faced the Amalekites while Moses prayed, and Aaron and Hur held up Moses' hands. God used Joshua to go out in front of the battle and win the, the victory over the Amalekites. And, of course, he was fulfilling uh, the, the man who was given the law, right? He was struggling, But Joshua was going out and defeating. And those two were intricately entwined. There's a lot of pictures just within that situation there. But Joshua was faithful, a faithful minister, as he was one of two spies who believed God could drive out the giants in Numbers, right? In Numbers 13, uh, the other uh, uh, spies, uh, ten spies, uh, said, Nope, God can't do this work. But Joshua and Caleb, they said, Yep, uh, God's well able to overcome this. Uh, No problem. Uh, God is good. We trust God, and of course, um, we find that because of Joshua and Caleb's faithfulness, they also learned patience, because Joshua was a patient minister as he waited 40 more years to enter the promised land, serving faithfully along Moses' side. But Joshua was also a proven minister. That process proved him out. He was a proven minister to the Lord, right? Paul says in the New Testament, when we want to ordain a man, a deacon or a pastor, you don't do that quickly, do you? right? You don't lay hands suddenly. They should be proven. Literally, that word is used. We'll be talking about that tonight uh, at uh, church services at 6 o'clock. So Joshua was, he was proven, and Joshua was an honorable minister as he faithfully led the children of Israel to victory over the inhabitants of the promised land, those giants that were in those lands. He destroyed them and took the land as God had promised. So Joshua was honorable, and Joshua was a spirit-led and wise minister. He trusted the Lord for various unusual military strategies to bring the victory to Israel. Very little of what Joshua did, although it did have some, uh, a lot of strategic wisdom and how and where he went. A lot of it was done in a very unorthodox fashion and very uh, stealthy and and just a very. He had a lot of. There's a lot of military prowess. Uh, that was given to Joshua, which was a direct di- reflection of his relationship with God. You see, all these things equate to, to really the types of ministers, servants we need to be. We, we really need to you know, understand that we need to be humble and obedient, faithful, patient, proven, honorable, right? doing what God tells us to do, going where God tells us to do, go. And Joshua, was, he was a spirit-led, wise minister, of the Lord. Joshua was a blameless minister as he and his house covenanted to follow the Lord. You see his progression as well as he grew into this role. Joshua was a, a man, right, who said, Hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It affected his family. And I hope you can see the parallels of what we're talking about in these seven realities. As God matures us, as God develops us, as God gives us tenacity to continue in obedience and patience, and, and his character is being formed in and through us, it affects everything around us and everyone around us. And so Joshua was just a man. At the end of the day, like Joseph, who's also a great and incredible type of Christ, God magnified Joshua's ministry because he served as a shadow. Right? of the perfect minister, who we would call the anti-type, meaning the original, the, the real McCoy, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The perfect minister is our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus demonstrated this in every motion he made. Before partaking of the Passover on the eve of his sacrifice, he showed an incredible act of humility in washing his disciples' feet. Everything Jesus did manifests the perfect model of ministry and being a minister. So already, this is just my introduction. I think you got a good picture of, of, some, of, of what ministers are, right? And it's a pretty high standard by, by that of Joshua and Jesus. But yet, that's, that's really the standard God would like to see in us. He wants us to be the best servants possible. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. But it's not just that Jesus needs ministers and uses ministers. Guess what? Satan also has his ministers, and so we're in a great conflict, and I'm going to develop that more, not this week, but uh, in the weeks to come, uh, not next week too much either, but the weeks after that. We'll talk a little bit more about the conflict, but you need to know, as we're talking about ministers, you got competition. you got some false prophets out there. You have some folks out there that are not the real thing. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, and no marvel, right? This is not something that should catch you or I off guard. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. There's some posers out there. And therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Right, so we don't need to sweat it. Let God be true and every man a liar. God will prove it out. So it's no surprise Satan counterfeits Christ's ministry and ministers. Right? He 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 has no light of his own. He has no light, it's darkness. But he pretends that it's light. This, this will only grow worse as we see the day of the Lord coming. So our job is to stay focused on reproducing the authentic ministry of Christ. Because once people have authentic examples, it's so much easier to spot a phony. Right? You know that in, in the issue, in, when it comes to, to paper currency, some of you may not know what that is. There was a time when we used paper and we would exchange it. It was it tendered as, as a currency. Uh, and so uh, paper currency, right, the, the way they teach people how to spot a fraud is by giving them the real thing, right? Once they, understand, they really know thoroughly what the real dollar bill looks like, they'll spot a phony. They'll spot a phony. And we really want to be real ministers. We want to be authentic ministers. We want to be those folks that, that are representing well. And we all, if you're like, you know, you're like me, you're like, man, I, just, I fail daily. We do. But you know what? We just came off the Lord's Supper last week, didn't we? Wasn't that great? And, uh, and a good message. Jeff did a wonderful job of laying that thing out. And that's what we do. We stay focused on the model minister, the Lord Jesus. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating that Jesus is our Passover lamb, right? And before he celebrated the Lord's Supper, what did he do? He washed his saints' feet. Beloved, God has made us clean, He's not so much worried about what we did wrong. He's looking to see, once you're born again, once you're secure in the Word of God, what are you going to do right? right? If we focus on what we're here to do right, it's a lot easier not to get caught up in what is wrong. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes our focus is totally upside down and backwards. And, we're, and because we're focused on our flesh. We're not focused on God's Word. We're not walking in the Spirit But when we walk in the Spirit and where our business is to serve God and be available to God, whatever, wherever, whenever, I mean, guess what? All of a sudden, a lot of that other stuff that that bogs us down starts to evaporate by God's grace. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. So the perfect minister is the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan has his minister. So as we look at this fourth reality, real ministers reproduce God's character. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not going to get very far uh, with this today, but we're going to look at the first principle here that I want to point out out of Ephesians chapter 6. And I'll be working out of this chapter for the next uh, couple points in regard, really, through the rest of our, our realities are based on this outline. But uh, in chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Oh, no, let's back up. Let's rewind the tape. Okay, please stand with me. Let's honor God's word. I feel like uh, that's important. That we do that this morning. If you can't stand, please remain seated. Uh, Don't feel like you... If you have a medical situation, don't sweat it. But uh, if we're able to stand... Let's look and honor God's word as we read... Verses 1-4 through of Ephesians 6. Familiar to many of us. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord... For this is right. Honor thy father and mother... Which is the first commandment with promise... That it may be well with thee... And thou mayest live long on the earth... And you fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we would, before we jump into the next verse and talk about, you know, really being servants, which is really where this message is going uh, next week, Lord, help us to be obedient sons. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would understand that you are a good Father. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that as you look upon our lives, Lord, that you uh, you would see us... Uh, obeying the commands that you've given us. And Lord, even though we're in grace and it's a, it's a New Testament age, Lord, you have commanded us to go. You have commanded us to take the gospel wherever it needs to go. You've commanded us to lay our lives down. Lord, you've commanded us to assemble together on the first day of the week. Lord, you've, there's a lot of things you've told us to do. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be about your business today, that our hearts would be such that we would not be holding back or are are, are rebelling against you, Lord. We just came off the Lord's Supper. I pray, God, our hearts would be such that we just would be willing and ready to do whatever it is you called us to do. Thank you for this season and this time to minister in your word, Lord. I pray, God, that you encourage us and change us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so, as we look at these realities, we're going to see that real ministers reproduce obedient children. That's what we're going to look at today. Next week, we'll talk about how real ministers reproduce humble servants and submissive masters. And that will set us up for our next reality, reality number five, which will deal with real battles. All right, so as we look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, we're we're not surprised by what's there. There's a revelation of the mystery of Christ in the church in chapter 5 and verse 32. And it's followed, of course, by what? Children. Man and wife are pictured from the beginning. By the way, Genesis, that's the way God designed it, just to be clear for everybody who doesn't understand that anymore. So God has designed for a man and a woman to come together and does this incredible supernatural thing of procreating uh, in a physical sense. That's all just a picture of the spiritual reality that Jesus Christ uh, is the head of the church, right? And we are the bride of Christ. And when we come together with Christ, guess what? He reproduces spiritual fruit. And so uh, that's what we do through the gospel and discipleship is reproduce spiritual fruit. It's miraculous just like physical reproduction is. So after revealing this picture in in, in chapter 5 and verse 32, Paul now turns and starts talking about children. Hey, children, talking to the kiddos in the crowd. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And all the parents were like, yes, yes, listen to him. Listen to that preacher. We want you to obey. And, and he now is focusing on the nuclear family. And he obviously points out in verse 4, hey, fathers, you have a huge role in this equation. Right? If you don't want your children to be rebellious, then guess what, dads? You need to be good fathers. That's what he's telling them in four short verses. And so as we look at this passage, I'm sure that all mothers would agree that it's a lot easier to make babies than to carry them to term and deliver them and raise them up into adulthood. Right? So all fathers and mothers know it takes a great deal of work and sacrifice to raise children. But raising children is not a job. right? It's not something anyone pays you to do. Um, it's, it's it's something that we do um, because we want to invest our hearts into our offspring. right? It's all rooted in love. Bringing up children in the way they should go is rooted in love, if it's done right, if it's done biblically. Um, it's not like, man, I'm not getting paid enough to raise these kids. No, you're not. You're actually going to work so you can earn money to raise these kids, right? That's all about love, right? You're putting them ahead of yourself because it's God's blessing. No godly parent wants their child to mature into a godless, hard-hearted adult. Any parents just want to say, yeah, I do. I want my son. I would think the way some of these kids are being brought up, you want, some parents may want that. But I would doubt that anybody right now in this room or anyone listening that's taking time to watch online would say, no, I, I just can't wait to raise my kids to just be godless, hard, hot, hard-hearted, you know, cold-blooded killers. You know, and there are some, I know, that would really do think that's cool. But that's not natural. That's unnatural. It's not even, even, even Jesus said that, right? Even a, even a sinner is going to give good gifts to his child. Because God has hardwired humanity uh, to care for their children. And when we're not, right, then we know something has gone very wrong. Whether it's a meth pipe or a fentanyl or whatever it is, when, when we get to the point in our life where everything's coming unhinged and we can't even care for the thing that lost people care for, what's happened to us? Well, some other spirit's taken over. And it's not the spirit of the living God. And so uh, we need to draw to Christ. Christ is the solution, period. He's going to be the answer. Uh, Like in Sunday school when you're five, right? What's the answer? Jesus. Jesus is the answer. God has made an investment in us, and he has blessed every member of this church and the body as a whole. And he builds us up, and he does this so we might mature as a congregation and reflect the character of, as as light of the world right so satan has his ministers they are transformed into into angels of light but god says wait a minute heartland baptist fellowship you know your vision is based out of philippians chapter 2 and you are to be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation what's that mean we're the authentic deal we're the real deal we're the light of the world that's what jesus calls us we're the light of the world and we're not to keep that light under a bushel So point number one, real ministers reproduce obedient children. I blew you away. I bet you couldn't have guessed that. Real ministers reproduce obedient children. That's what we just read about. A distinguished French officer asked Washington's mother how she managed to rear, this would be George Washington, how she managed to rear such a splendid son. You know what she said? I taught him to obey. I taught him to obey. What a simple yet profound concept. Can obedience produce greatness? Well, absolutely. Just think about that. We could just stop there and just go home and think about, can obedience produce greatness? And think about how many people are great because they simply obeyed. Whether it was to rush in and save someone from a burning burning building, got to get that right, or to, uh, you know, who knows? There's so many things. But greatness comes in obedience. Just being o- obedient. You think of, uh, you know, when you think of it in a context of armed conflict, you can think of so many war stories and heroic actions where men, in spite of themselves and their own, their own desires as servants, ha- have gone forward into battle in the face of certain death and often lose their lives. That's heroic. Uriah the Hittite. Right, was a man of honor. He was a, he's a faithful servant. And God names him as a mighty man. Even though he was sent into battle wrong. As, and was murdered. God counted it as a murder to David. Counted it as honorable to him. Because he obeyed. He did exactly what he was told. Joab said, go there. He went there. He didn't sit around and say, well, Joab, that doesn't make any strategic sense. He just went where, his, where he was told to go. He did what he was told to do. What a simple and profound concept that obedience produces greatness. So let's think about that. How, as a child of God, now you may be 80 years old, but as a, you're still a child of God. How obedient are you as a child of God? I mean, just, just think about it. This week, what is it that God said, hey, Brian, do this, and I said, oh, God, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Right? Um, or God says, hey, um, don't do that. And I'm like, well, God, I want to do that. Right, So there's sins of omission, sins of commission, and, we, and we, kind of, we don't always obey like we ought to, but we need to be obedient because obedience is what glorifies God. When we talk about greatness, we're not talking about it in the world standards. We're talking about making God who He is. We, we've already talked about how John the Baptist, when he shows up, what did he do? He pointed to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, this is the man. Christ is the man. That's who we're pointing to is Jesus Christ. So real ministers choose to obey God. You want to be a real minister, a real servant of God? Then obey God. I, it doesn't matter what your gifting is if you're not willing to obey God. There's a lot of, I mean, God doesn't really need us, right? That's, that's the main thing that every minister needs to know. Uh, and I don't, I'm not, I mean, that means me in the pulpit, but that means y'all and the children, we're dying to get more people in the children's ministry. It's a great opportunity. It's a great privilege. And as much as we need people, I will tell you right now, God doesn't need you. Right? Why? Because it's an honorable thing. God needs honorable people to be working with those children. He needs people that have a heart for him to be doing that. So for now, we got what we got and we're happy with it. But man, serving Jesus is the highest honor any of us can have. We need to obey God. That's what real ministers do. See, obedience is a decision. So point one, Jesus, the greatest minister who ever lived, chose to obey. He chose to obey. And so, turn in your Bibles. I've, I've referenced Philippians already, chapter two. It's just a, it's just like a chapter page over or two, depending on what kind of Bible you're you're using. But Philippians chapter two, I kind of skip down to you know the vision for HBF down around verse fifteen. But I want to back it up a little bit and talk about this very familiar passage. We often quote this passage about "Let this mind be in you," which is also in Christ Jesus, and it's really talking and speaking about the mindset of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in Philippians 2, in verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And so Timothy would call this, or Paul would say to Timothy, this is the mystery of godliness. Jesus Christ manifest in the flesh. Verse 5, or 6 I should say rather. It goes on to say, But he made himself of no reputation. Though he was all God, he was all man, and he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, a minister, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. <sighs> okay, let's, let's noodle on this for just a minute. Notice obedience. Where does it really start? What's Paul admonishing us to do here? The very first words that we read in verse 5, many of you haven't memorized. Let this mind be in you. It starts. That's why we're having church this morning. It starts with our mind. We need our minds renewed. Right? The only thing that renewed it's not what I think, what I think is worthless. What really matters is what does Jesus Christ tell us? What does his mind say? What is his mind set? His mind is set. It's right here. It's in this book. And we wash in the water. Going back to that picture, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32. What's the husband to do? Wash his wife in the water of the word so that we're clean and spotless when he comes. And so how does he do that? Well, he takes. we let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. We get like-minded. Right, we understand that in, in Corinthians, a couple. This stuff gets practical, right? And a couple, uh, not just in marriage, but but definitely in marriage, is not to be unequally yoked. That also, that principle works in business, works in a lot of things. Uh, in First Corinthians seven, but uh, but we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so, um, I think I misquoted the reference on that. So if somebody gets that for me. Uh, it's not first. Is it First Corinthians seven? 2 Corinthians 6, thank you, Ron. Yeah, I was, after I said that, I'm like, that's not right. That's, that is 2 Corinthians 6. But you get the principle, dealing with contracts there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, right? And so, well, how do we come together? Well, we have the same mind, so you're going the same direction, right? If, if, if my wife, Amy, wants to go here, and I want to go there, and we're not of one mind, well, it's going to cause problems. We're not going to be able to function, We're not going to be able to pull things off. We're not going to be able to figure out when the kids go here. Now the kids are getting bigger. Where are the kids at? What we're going to do next, right? As a couple, you guys get it. We're two different bodies, but we're one person because we came together in Christ. And we got to have our minds synchronized. So I send her like, we got something going on. These technology's great. Okay, Amy, this is what's going on on this date. Pastor Rogan's coming to town, by the way, July 2nd through the 6th. So, what, is that, so what, what does that do? It sets a lot of things in motion, right? So we know this has to get done, that, right? So you understand. What I'm so we work together to make sure what happens. God's mission gets done. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Wash out whatever else it is that you think you need to be doing and find out what is it that God wants me to do. We just had a whole vision conference on owning the mission. Right? You own the mission. Know what God wants you to do, and then prepare your mind and, of course, your heart to do that. Right? It's not just enough to prepare your heart. It's, it's great to have a want to, but you've got to know how to. And that's what this church is all about equipping the saints of God in the Word of God to accomplish the mission of God in the power of God. That's where the Spirit of God kicks in. Boom. And then God gets it done in spite of ourselves because we took the time to let this mind be in us which was also in Christ Jesus, we get aligned with what, where God's going. We set our calendar to his calendar. We put our life in motion with his life so we can accomplish his mission and his power for his glory. And that's what we've been striving to do here at HBF since day one. It's not, it takes training. It takes effort. It takes, it, takes, it takes being intentional. It takes being obedient. But he comes and he says, he gives Jesus as an example. He says, this is what, this is what Jesus did. So Jesus, uh, who is God, taking nothing away from God, the mystery of godliness, right? Jesus, in 1 Timothy, is Jesus Christ is the express image of God, Colossians, I believe, or Galatians tells us. And, and, and so Jesus Christ uh, is, is God, but he's manifest in flesh. He does what the Father tells him to do. He says, you know what, son? I love the world. I've got a plan to redeem it. And you're part of it dad right now he did not do that sir yes sir i'm on my way First, yeah. i and the father are one but nonetheless i mean he, he's he's doing what he's supposed to do he goes where he needs to go why because he wants to be obedient notice the word obedient in verse in verse 8 unto death even if it kills him which it did I can remember when I was a young baby Christian and, man, I was just wanting to be obedient. I was, uh, Shane, my disciple, I was discipling. Yeah, was probably a little young than the Lord to be discipling, but I was. Uh, we didn't have all the structure that HBF has. And so uh, I went from being a baby to, you know, baby discipling a baby. And I was discipling this guy. He didn't show up for, for, for my lesson. So I went next door. Shane, Shane Crawford was the youth pastor at our church. And I sat down with Shane and I'm just sharing my heart. And I'm like, man, Shane, I just want to obey the Lord. I mean, I just told the Lord, kill me before you let me go back to the world. And man, his face got like white as a ghost. And he looked at me in the eye and he said, Brian, you shouldn't pray like that. And he meant it. And I meant it. But then when he said that, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it really did. It actually. Re- it really set in my heart. That, little, that moment of exchange set in my heart. Not only that that I was serious, obviously, but that he was like confirming God's not playing, Brian god's not he's not kidding around, and so you can't either you know don't be don't be making foolish vows, son, obey, I wanted to obey, God knows I want to obey don't be foolish and make stupid vows, but that's our hearts oh man, I tell you guys, it is such a conflict, isn't it? Uh, there's moments where you want to obey, and then moments where you want to obey your flesh. And it's all about who controls you, the Spirit. It's a decision. Obedience is a decision. And it's a decision based in who we love. If we love God, we keep His commandments. Don't kid ourselves. We love our flesh a lot. We love ourselves a lot. And so that's what we've got to work on, is like, okay, God, I see the problem here. It's not that I want to, you know, you know, take drugs or or look at pornography, or go gamble, or, I don't know, go brawl with somebody. Whatever it is, it said, I don't want to love you more than myself. When it gets right down to it. Because obedience does manifest love. Jesus loved the Father, and the Father loved the Son, and He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Even the death of the cross. Not just death, but even the death of the cross. How despicable for the Son of God to be crucified, the way he was for my sin for your sin so obedience starts with in the mind we must allow god's word to impact our thinking if we truly want to be a real authentic minister jesus became a servant under authority he is a minister under the authority of his father in heaven his obedience led him to the cross for others benefit he didn't do that for himself he did that for others now, we're maturing. We're walking through these realities at HBF. This is not, this is not, the, this is not the nursery anymore. Okay? We're, we're growing up here. And God not only wants individuals to grow, but he wants churches to grow. And, and that's part of the, the, the collective mindset of even of a church is that, you know what, Lord? We're willing to do what you need us to do. We're willing to go where you need us to go. Not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. Point two. To obey God is to love God. I've already mentioned that. In Exodus 25-6, through six, in the midst of the Ten Commandments is a statement that has to do with generations of families and their choice to love and obey God. Check this out. Now, in Exodus 20, in verse 5, it says this, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. We're talking about idols. God hates idols because they, they it's the, worship them instead of him, right? The, the attention goes from him to, to them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You notice how that ends there in verse 6? There are those who don't obey God and they hate Him, and and it affects their families. There are those that do love God, and they keep His commandments. So Jesus wasn't just spouting stuff off in John 15, 14, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. And and I wish I had more time, but there's a whole bevy of blessings, man, that God wants to do. If If you love Him and keep His commandments, He just wants to bless and bless and bless. He wants to bless His servants. In the New Testament, Jesus told His disciples that loving Him meant that they would keep his commandments in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's in fulfilling the commandment of God that we demonstrate our love for God. Unlike Christ, we sometimes choose to disobey. And it's through those times that God often disciplines us and teaches us that keeping his commandments is the manifestation of our love to God. You may be familiar with the text of John 21 when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And of course, Peter responded three times and said, "I love you." And each time Peter responded, <clears throat> uh, what did Jesus say to him? Did he say, "Well, well, how do you feel about ministry, Peter?" No, he didn't. Did he? Hey, hey, Peter, would you please help in the church? Would you please work with the children? Pretty, pretty, please. No, Jesus didn't say that. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my lambs. You love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. You love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. You know I love you, but not like you love me. Okay, son, I still use you. Go feed my sheep. Look at the commandments of the three, did one of those commandments have anything to do with Peter's rejection? No. The issue is not what we've done wrong. He doesn't bring it up again. Now he does ask him three times. But he doesn't go back there. What he's asking Peter to do is go forward. He's not asking Peter, hey Peter, this is what you did wrong. He's saying, Peter, will you do what is right? Will you obey me? You know what you did wrong. That's why, that's why you went back to fishing. This is the reality. I'm not asking you what you did wrong. We all know what you did wrong. I'll write it in the Bible so everybody for eternity will know what Peter did wrong. The issue is not what did Peter do wrong at this point. When he comes to meet with Jesus, he is willing and ready to serve. He's been in the, he's went back and met with him on Sunday night meetings. He's walking with him for 40 days. He's doing all of that stuff. Why? Because God wants him to go somewhere in obedience. And boy, by the time you get to Pentecost, which by the way is, I think, today, 50 days after the resurrection, then guess what? Peter is on fire for Jesus because he focused on where God wanted him to go and what, how he wanted him to serve and what it was that God had him for. Not what Peter wanted. Not a a war with swords, but a war of words. And he finally got it in his head and said, that's what God has for me. A war of words. He put away the sword and he started going after it with a war of words. And man, God blessed him as he preached the gospel at Pentecost. And no one could deny that he spent time with Jesus. That minister looked a lot like Jesus. Because he spent time with him. He was obedient. It is in fulfilling the commandment of God that we demonstrate our love for God. Unlike Christ, we sometimes disobey, but yet God calls us and he wants us to obey. So now let's look at Jesus' choice to obey by fulfilling God's commandment. Jesus is in the garden in prayer. Many of us know about the garden of Gethsemane. His disciples are sleeping. He has full knowledge of of what God is requiring. Now look at Mark. Turn over to Mark chapter. Keep a finger in the Ephesians. And we'll be back there. But go to Mark chapter 14. I'm, I'm telling you what's going on, but I want you to see the text with your eyeballs. Mark chapter 14. Jesus is, is, is now um, trying to pray through in the garden, and he will, of course. He's full of the knowledge of what God is requiring of him as the Son of God. Eternity and humanity are intersecting in a moment of time. It's a very intense moment where God has limited himself to a place where he must learn as a man what it means to obey. And here it comes. Mark 14 and verse 34. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thou wilt. There it is. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. What Jesus is saying is this. Father, I trust you even when I have no earthly reason too. I trust you no matter what. When the first Adam chose not to obey, he was saying, God, I do not believe you or trust your judgment, even in a perfect environment. And here we have the last Adam come to this earth under the most horrendous circumstances and the strain. And under all of this pressure, he passes the love quotient with flying colors, though it was not struggle free as he sweat drops of blood. He placed himself in a position where he had to choose. His life for mine. His life for yours. His life for people who hate him to this day. His life for sinners. The perfect son of God. God, this makes no sense, but I will do it. Because you love them. I will be their sacrifice for sin. He placed himself in a position where he had to choose. And... He chose my life. He chose your life by faith. He chose God's character. He chose God's commandments. He chose God's promises and proceeded into the torture of the cup of God's wrath because God loves us. And Jesus loved the Father, He obeyed, He chose to obey the Father. God talks about that in Philippians 2, doesn't he? He says, hey, and let me tell you, there's no other name, right? He is at the right hand of the Father. I've exalted him because God's not going to let that kind of obedience go unnoted. (coughs) And for all of eternity, we will worship him. The whole millennial government's going to be set up around him. Eternity future is going to be based on him. The light of the universe is going to emanate from him. I mean, he is what it is all about. He is the example of obedience. He is the example of ministry. He is the model minister. He shows us what obedience is all about. It's not about himself. He put others ahead of himself. Jesus learned obedience when he chose to obey. When it went against everything in his human nature. As it would any of our natures. But here's what it says in the scripture. I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible says. In Hebrews 5 and verse 7. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayer... And prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Just get that down. He didn't have to go to the cross if the father decided, I'm done with this deal. You know what? I've evaluated this. I love you, son. I'll, just, I'll tell you what. We're just going to go in an eternity future. Just us. Us three. Well, we got the angels here. Let's roll with those. We're done. But he didn't do that. God chose to to redeem us, and he chose to give his own son. And and so after his strong crying and and tears emanated from his son, and you know God heard those tears. He heard those prayers. He saw those tears. And he was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Notice he wasn't just a son. It's a capital S there. He's the son of God. Yet, though he is the perfect sinless son of God, he never did anything wrong. He put himself in a situation to obey. And he did it. Against everything that was in him as a human. Jesus learned obedience to the things which he suffered. Point three. We must learn as soon as possible that God is right. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's all, there's nothing else. That God's right. I don't care what gender you think is this, that. God's right. Right? This, God, I don't care what your sexual preference is. God's right. I don't really, it doesn't matter. God designed it. That's the way it is. You know, it is what it is. In 2006 when I preached this message the first time, the Da Vinci Code was a big deal and it cast doubts on the ministry of Christ and it, it beguiled some into believing our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, was married to a prostitute and desecrated the office of his priesthood and it was full of problems. Now nobody even remembers it, praise the Lord. I shouldn't even bring it up. Um, but that was a direct attack on the mystery of godliness, which I was just working in this last uh, part of the message. And, and also the mystery of the church. The implication is that the, the, is that perhaps we are not the bride of Christ. Maybe Mary Magdalene was the bride, and of course that's blasphemous. Children have to learn that words are right. God's words are right in particular, right, is what I need to say. His words are right. Ephesians 6, 1, emphasizing that obeying is right, for this is right. We must understand that God is right, and that is why he is righteous, right? I know <laughs> that the, that grates on many people today, that there's an absolute standard of righteousness, but there is. In Laodicea, we ought to understand, it's not about our rights. This message goes directly, when we're talking about being a model minister, it goes directly against the grain of Revelation chapter 3, where every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Rights of the people. It goes against the grain of world government that wants to control the people. There is one Lord and one God, and it is Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's the only person that's really worthy of worship. And so it it, it sounds closed-minded, I know, and limited uh, to many, but it's actually a decision that God has made to to narrow down the door to access. There's one way, there's one truth, and there's one life. It's through Jesus Christ. It's very simple. So people can find the way to escape sin and death. And God's words liberate both the mind and the soul. In one moment of time, when someone comes to Christ, they are free because the scripture teaches. Then once we obey God's word and he frees our soul, it will only be a matter of time before these bodies follow. I mean, our victory is so complete in Christ. It's so comprehensive because Jesus obeyed. When oh, It even says it in the New Testament. We obey the gospel. It changes everything from the inside out. No matter if you're, you're talking about spiritual children, physical children, or, or both. Our love for God begins in learning that God's commandments are right. His words are right. Point B, uh, real minister's. Receive the blessings of obedience. I've already touched on that with Jesus. But point one, God rewards children for being obedient to their parents, practically. Kids get a blessing for that. Rewarding children for good behavior is God's idea. That's not a man's idea. You know, when I I submitted to Believer's Baptism, I was not a super, I wanted to obey God, but I had some issues. I I know I still have issues. But I mean, I had some attitude problems when I got saved. And so I was very uh, cynical when I got saved. I was very mistrusting of, uh, of authority. I was kind of like the kids today. And so I was just very cynical, didn't trust authority. I wasn't just going to jump in on anything. I really had to be convinced. And so finally, um, I, baptism was something. I learned lesson three. I was still stewing on that, going, okay, yeah, but I'm saved. I'll do three whenever God tells me to. Well, sure enough, one day I'm sitting there in the church. The preacher's preaching. And God hits me between the eyes, like, hey, Brian, you're disobedient, son. You need to obey me. What are you, you ain't going to win nobody, because I did want to see people saved. I just didn't care about baptism. And God just made it clear, Brian, I ain't going to do anything. I'm not going to bless you if you don't move, if you don't obey, son. So right then, I stood up at the altar call. I went forward to get baptized. And what was awesome is when I made that decision, uh, God showed me the importance of it, because... Amy followed, my sister followed, my brother-in-law followed, and so four of us ended up getting baptized. By the way, next week is baptisms. Maybe God's calling someone today to obey and get baptized. But man, I tell you, God really, he showed me through that, that not that, oh great, because I did something, these people followed. The, the, the admonition was, Brian, if you don't make the right moves, other people will be impacted. It wasn't that I was anything. It was just that he was waiting on me to move, and he showed me your movements affect people positively and negative when you obey or disobey. Obey, son. I got the message. I'm like, okay, I get it. Man, I tell you what, beloved, it's important that we obey. Just learn that his word is right. Do what he tells you to do. If you need to get baptized, get baptized. If you need to get in discipleship, get in discipleship. If you need to get in the ministry, get in the ministry. If you need to get out of the ministry, get out of the ministry. Do what it is that God tells you to do. Don't spiritualize Ephesians 6, 3 too much either. Paul is referring to Exodus 20 and verse 12. This promise of physical blessings to obedience in Exodus twenty twelve: 12. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. There is a real and literal blessing to obeying your parents. It will help your life. So when they tell you don't play out in the street, that will actually lengthen your lifespan. When your parents tell you, don't drink that Clorox, it will help your lifespan. I mean, literally, it's built in. Obey your parents. When they tell you, don't do drugs, don't go drinking and partying, it's because it's going to make your life better. You don't have to get so spiritual. Sometimes just take the Bible and believe it, and God will bless it. Being an obedient child of God doesn't guarantee long physical life, but it sure doesn't hurt any. I wonder, I do think sometimes, what would I have been if I would have continued in the sin that I was going in before I got saved? I might be dead right now. Point C. Real ministers are obedient parents. Right? That's where we leave off there, and we're going to finish up here. Just as God spoke to Adam instead of Eve, so God is speaking to fathers, fathers is the word there, about responsibility to raise our children well. Notice that God prohibits... Uh, ministers of the gospel from caring for the flock if they don't take care of their own children. 1 Timothy 3, 4-5. through 5, One that ruleth well his own house. Deacons are under the same, um, <clears throat> the same admonition in 1 Timothy three eleven through 12 Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. It should affect our house. We are to be good parents. You know what? When we obey our Father in Heaven, guess what? It's going to make us a lot better parent to the children that we're guiding. It's very practical. God expects those in authority. Remember, a minister is someone who is serving under authority. He expects those that are in authority, right, that he delegates authority to, to know how to execute it. God expects those, expects those in authority to know how to delegate authority. A minister is simply a servant who is under authority to serve. And you know what, parents? You're in a very influential position. Obey your Father in heaven. If you, if you want to hear more about that, come tonight at 6 o'clock. I'll talk a little bit more. Point two, ministers, disciple, real ministers. This is also part of what we're doing here. When Jesus left this earth, he replaced himself with 12 men who were called disciples. Disciple simply means to teach. If, you're, if you uh, are a disciple, the word means to learn, right? You're either teaching or learning. It depends where you're at in the process. And obviously, if you are discipling, you know that you learn more when you teach than when you're being taught. That's the root of the word disciple is to teach. There are many methods to teaching or learning uh, and being a disciple, but primary way is through our example of obedience. Jesus does not ask for our obedience without first defining it by his own behavior. And this is where discipleship ministry often breaks down. When our definition of teaching becomes the imparting of information, we've lost the power in our discipleship. We must do what we're teaching, right? We can't just tell people what the Bible says. We have to do what the Bible says or we become hypocrites. So fathers, the discipleship process for our children starts at home. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with a part of your heart. No, it says all thy heart, all thy soul, with all thy might. Are you all in? Jesus was. Paul was. And in these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Right? Not just in your mind, but in your heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. You know what you're going to really teach? What's in your heart. And thou shalt talk of them. You know what you're going to talk about? What's in your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. When thou walkest by the way. When thou liest down. When thou risest up. When thou shalt bind them upon a sign upon thine hand. And thou shall be frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and thy gates. Everywhere the word of God is everywhere. Why? Because that's what's important to a father who loves his kids. And he loves God. <coughs> Not in that order. And thou shalt write them on the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which thou swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee a great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things, which thou fillest not, and wells dig, which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Man, God's blessing is there. Fathers both in the Lord and physical fathers. We have to obey, not for our sake, but for the sake of others. Point three, when we disciple, it's like rearing spiritual children. It's like rearing spiritual children. Galatians 4.19, Paul said, My my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. What are we wanting to see in our spiritual children? Jesus. Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Paul felt like he was giving birth to the church of Galatia who had missed the fundamentals of the faith. 1 Corinthians 4.14 says, I write not these things to shame you, but as beloved sons, I warn you. Paul had to warn his beloved sons in the Lord that their carnal behavior was hurting their relationship with God the Father. In several places in the New Testament, Paul referred to his spiritual offspring as sons. He called Timothy his son. Timothy was not his biological child, but he was his son in the ministry. Amen. Hey if you count me as a father, I'm getting old enough almost to be counted as a father. Man, I tell you what, obey God. That's, what, that's my admonition, obey. Children, obey. Not me, obey the Lord. Obey your father in heaven. Isn't it great to hear that your children is doing what's right? It is. We're going to conclude on this. Real ministers <clears throat> love it when their disciples learn to walk in obedience. You know what should be turning us on? Every, every adult in this room is when we see these little babies be born and come up in this church and follow the Lord. When you lead someone to Christ or you're discipling somebody or you led someone to Christ and you're discipling somebody and you see Christ being formed in them, Oh yeah, you see them stumble. You see them fall. They're not perfect, right? None of us are. But you see that day by day, week by week, month by month, message by message, lesson by lesson, Bible study by Bible study, week after week, month after month, after a few years, all of a sudden you turn around and look and you say, wow, Christ is in them. Look at them walk. They're walking. Oh, beloved, that should turn us on. That should fire us up. Our Heavenly Father is delighted when we do what's right, no matter what, no matter how old we are or how young we are. When we obey, it fires him up and that teaches us to walk. When you get good news back on someone you've discipled, it gives you great joy. When you're going to pull up, <clears throat> we're going to pull up, I'm sorry, this week right here and I'm going to stop, but I'll tell you what, it's a good place to stop because I'll tell you that you'll never run if you don't walk. And you'll never walk if you don't obey. Beloved, if you, if, you're, if, you're, if you feel like you're powerless and hopeless and you just can't move and you count yourself a Christian, you know you called upon the name of the Lord, it's as simple as this. <clears throat> You've got to learn the first thing a baby has to learn, to walk. Learn to walk in the Spirit. Focus on what God has saved you to be. Focus on what God is calling you to do. Quit worrying about yourself and start focusing on Jesus Christ and who you are in him. And the next thing you know, you'll start walking. The next thing you know, you'll start fitting in the body. God will start putting you in the body. The next thing you know, you'll be serving. And hey, you don't have to be up here, but you'll be just as authentic and just as real and just as powerful as any other member of the body. You're exactly who God saved you to be and you're right where God needs you to be because you're walking in the Spirit. And it's once you're walking in the Spirit, you can learn to run your race and finish your course. I'll get to that later. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to come today and kind of introduce this discussion of being real ministers. I pray, Heavenly